Welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. I'm Coach Kevin Furtado, and today is episode 99 with Coach Jim Johnson. <clears throat> Based on what transpired in a few short moments in early 2006, Coach Jim Johnson is now an authority on the subject of realizing your dreams. In his many public speaking appearances, the Rochester, New York resident relates his role in a basketball game that got Hollywood calling. He also emphasizes the importance of teamwork and sportsmanship, delivering his talks with a heartfelt style that has brought audiences to their feet. Coach Johnson has developed winning high school basketball teams for 30 years, taking over three losing varsity programs and turning them into winners in short periods of time. Of his 428 career victories, one in particular will surely never be duplicated. On February 15, 2006, Coach Johnson made the kind-hearted gesture of inserting his autistic manager, Jason McElwain, now known to the world as J-Mac, into Greece Athena High School's final home game, which the Trojans won 79-43. J-Mac scored 20 points in just over four minutes, including six three-point baskets to become an instant national celebrity. Coach Johnson also was featured in major news outlets around the country. To make the Hollywood ending complete, Greece Athena captured the first Section 5 title of Coach Johnson's career a few weeks later. His overall record at the varsity level is 428 and 221. His record at Greece Athena is 322 and 114. Coaches, let's welcome Coach Jim Johnson. Hi, Jim. Hi, Coach. Hi, Kevin. Good. How you doing? Can you hear me good? I can hear you fine. How about from your uh, side? You sound great, man. It's always good to, uh, you know, talk to a, a legendary coach who's, who's spoken on so many shows and everything. I feel honored. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. So, Mike. <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. I, I tell you, I, I really want you to share, first of all, kind of your journey as a coach and, um, I, I tell you what I love about not only the J-Mac story, but I love your story on how you learned as a coach what be successful. I think a lot of coaches can kind of learn from your journey. Tell us a little bit about your journey as a coach and what you're doing now. Sure. So I, I, uh, I grew up in a basketball family. In fact, my uh, father was my high school basketball coach. So when I got to college, I thought I was a better player than when it turned out because I actually got humbled my sophomore year and got cut from the college team. So that um, ruled out my dream of playing in the NBA. Uh, but <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I love basketball, so I still had great passion. So I, I, I studied to become a teacher and a coach. And so when I graduated from college, um, uh, I got into uh, teaching and coaching. I started as a freshman coach in my at my alma mater, a suburb of Rochester, New York, called Greece. And I coached at the, uh, uh, the school I, I went to high school at called Greece Arcadia. Did that for a year and then moved over to one of my other sister schools in our town. We have four high schools at Greece Athena. It was a JV coach for two years. And then I my dream came true. I got named as a head coach at 25 years old, which is pretty young in the profession, uh, at a school about 20 minutes from uh, where I grew up. And the program was not in very good shape, but I thought I was such a great coach that I was going to turn it around probably in the first year. And uh, Unfortunately, it didn't work out quite that way. In fact, um, after splitting the first two games, I led that team to 17 consecutive losses. And uh, <laughs> that didn't work out. And then I actually um, uh, was let go from that job. So it was, it was a pretty humbling experience. But it ended up being probably the best experience of my professional life because it really woke me up. And the two biggest lessons I garnered from that uh, loss of, of losing my first teaching and coaching job at, at the varsity level was the fact that I realized that I've been pretty arrogant and I had a lot to learn. So that's when I really started studying my uh, the journey of becoming a better leader and a better coach. And the second thing is it also was a motivator for me. I, it was a burn in my belly that never went away for the next 30 years in coaching that I was going to prove that school wrong that I could coach. And I, I got a nice break. Actually, that following year, I got an opportunity to work 
at a junior college with a coach that um, probably most people don't know, but you probably know his last name. His name was Bill Van Gundy. And uh, at that point, I had no idea that years later, both his sons would end up being head coaches in the NBA. So, but Coach Van Gundy really took me under his wing and helped me um, start to put together these leadership principles. And that's one of the presentations I share is uh, the seven keys that I talk about leadership. And after uh, leaving Coach Van Gundy after a year, because my dream was uh, I really loved being a high school varsity coach. And I got a chance to be um, a head coach at a smaller school. And this time it went, went much better. We kind of turned it around. Uh, we had a winning season our second year. But my dream was I wanted to coach back to my hometown. And after a couple of years at this smaller school, I got an opportunity to come back to my hometown and become a head coach at a uh, school that was really in bad shape. They had, they had only won two games in the previous two years. They were like two and 40. And, but that's where I really learned a lot about my leadership uh, and putting these seven keys that I talk about today and it, and it was um, we got, we had a winning season second year, but the third year we went and plummeted back down to only two wins. But then our last three years there, we were able to uh, really get the program going. We were uh, we won 38 games in our last two years. We were number one seed, and we took to the school to the furthest we ever been in the postseason tournament. We made the semifinals two years in a row. But uh, as fate had it. I, uh, one of the other jobs in, in my school district um, opened up and I thought it was a really good opportunity and ended up applying and getting that opportunity. And there, that, that program had been pretty good. They had won a state championship, but they were uh, not doing too well when I took it over. But uh, I, I felt like with the leadership I had learned that we would get it going. And fortunately we did. We never had a losing season. Uh, but one of the things is I, uh, started to have a lot of winning seasons at the school called Greece Athena. Uh, my real stumbling block is we were not doing that well in the postseason. And as you all know, being a coach, that often you're judged by how you do in the postseason as opposed to how you do in the regular season. And there we were falling short and uh, we kept losing. And then finally, we got back to the semifinals for my fourth time and we lost. And then that following year, it was about my 10th year at Athena, is when this young man came into our program. His name was Jason McElwain. Everybody knows him now as J-Mac. And J-Mac's on the autism spectrum, and he was a little guy at that point, and he tried out for our JV team. Of course, I was the head coach. And my JV coach saw that he was so passionate, and he said, you know, we should give this young man a chance to be our manager, and, and he did that. And then Jason, the thing that I admired so much about Jason was uh, despite having uh, being on the spectrum and also uh, uh, being learning disabled, was it didn't stop him. And you know, I was a head coach for 30 years, Kevin, and I rarely would ever have a young man if they didn't make the team try out the next year. But Jason was so much different. After he didn't make the JVs, he stayed on as the manager. He came to all our offseason workouts between his sophomore and junior year, tried out for his junior year, didn't make the team. But he uh, uh, stayed on as my team manager, and he, in fact, he developed a mantra that he was going to help us win our first sectional championship. He called it "Stay Focused," and we actually got to the semifinals his junior year, and uh, we uh, lost again. And actually, that was the sixth time in my career that we had lost in the semis. And then um, Jason Senior came, and I, again, he came to all our off-season workouts. He uh, tried out for the team. And, and this year I told him that uh, unfortunately he was still not quite good enough to be on the team, but because he had been so committed to our program, I was going to uh, give him a gift. And the gift was for senior night, which is our final home game when we honor our seniors and bring out their parents or guardians. I was going to give him a uniform and hopefully get him into the game. And that led into the game that, you know, is kind of, uh, promoted me all over the world. Um, do you want me to share a little bit about that game? Yeah, I was going to ask you, please, because um, I've seen it so many times. I get emotional every time I watch it, and I, I haven't seen it in so many years, and I clicked it on the other day going, man, that's a great moment again. Yeah. I just It just brought back so many memories. Yeah, please tell us about that and how you got really emotional during that time. Yeah, so uh, – the interesting thing is Jason senior, we were supposed to have a really good team. 
And I thought this might be the year we break down the barrier and actually win our sectional tournament. But uh, but, uh, I have a book called The Coach of the Miracle. And it's a long story, so I'm not going to delve into it too deeply. I just say that we ended up having a lot of internal strife, which divided the team. And this team that wasn't supposed to be very good ended up really struggling for a while. And fortunately, uh, you know, we played it in this Christmas tournament and we were four and three and I thought we were going to be seven and oh, but because of all the strife, we were really struggling and we got into the championship game. We were playing this really good school and um, I, we sat down because we had a shoot around because we didn't have uh, school it was during Christmas break. And the best thing I did that, that day is I gave him a little bit of a pep talk, but the best thing I did was I sat and listened to him and we really tried to iron some things out. And it didn't solve all our wars, but it definitely gave us a different mindset. And we, uh, we actually played a great game in the championship game. We didn't win, but we lost in overtime and show what we could do. And from there, that really uh, gave us some momentum. We won eight of our next nine games going into senior night. And senior night was February 15th. I gave J-Mac his first jersey. It was way too big. It was on 52, but he didn't care. In fact, there was a rumor going around school that he slept in it for two straight nights. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Well, senior night, as I said, it was always a very touching, you know, I was a head coach for 30 years, so I had 30 senior nights. But this one was profoundly touching to see Jason instead of in his white shirt and black tie. He's now dining number 52 and to see him embrace his parents and before the game was a memory I'll always cherish. Well, uh, we had a really good student body. And for the, your people listening, uh, if you go to the JMAC video on ESPN, it's a very touching, about five-minute video that they did that I show as part of my presentations. And, um, and what happened was that um, we had a really good student body following that, that year. And uh, after three quarters, I'd gotten everybody in but Jason. So I put him in with just over four minutes to go. And what touched me so profoundly was when he entered the game, not only the student body gave him a standing ovation, but they showed these placards, these pictures of Jason's face that were on paint sticks that Jason and I had no idea. And what happened is one of our parents had done that to kind of honor Jason. And I got so overwhelmed with emotion that I rarely sat down in the game, but I sat down and tears literally rolled down my face. I was so touched. Well, the game begins. And the first time Jason ever gets into a varsity game, he gets a three-pointer from the right corner. The play stands in anticipation. He misses by like six feet. And I think <laughs> kid people, I, I know you're not supposed to pray in the public schools, but I was praying, dear God. But what a great lesson, because one of the things we taught our players and Jason was at all our practices is the fact we called it next play with the ability that, hey, if you make a mistake, you'll learn from it. But basketball is such a quick game. you got to move on. And Jason illustrated that very well. He just didn't phase him that he shot an air ball. And, uh, you know, I, a great lesson uh, on the fact, because I always challenge people, you know, how many times – is somebody given up when they failed the first time? And we know to be successful, you got to overcome uh, failure and, and disappointment. So, Jason, the second possession, we got the ball. Uh, Jason shot about a 10-footer, which wasn't on the video. And, of course, I'll add a little drama. It actually hit the backboard, hit the rim, and it fell off. And I, I said to myself, all right, God's starting to listen. We're getting closer. And uh, the third possession... Jason got another three-pointer, this time from the right wing. Magic. It went in, and the place just exploded. And I thought to myself, God must be a basketball fan. Not only has Jason scored, he's got a three-pointer. It can't get any better than this, right? Wrong. Well, for the next three minutes, as I kid people, Jason turned into his boyhood idol, Kobe Bryant. And the ironic thing is the fast-forward four months later, and then I'll finish the story, Jason was in – California at the ESPYs and he was one of the four finalists for the greatest sports moment of the year and one of the other finalists was his idol Kobe Bryant Kobe had scored 81 points in an NBA game that year and Jason actually beat out Kobe and two other finalists to win the ah, that's cool year. yeah so, <laughs> well what happened is Jason just started making shot after shot and the two things I'll never forget with about a minute to go I'm still sitting on the bench and I get a tap on my shoulder. I look behind me as J-Mac's mother 
and she's bawling her eyes out and she gives me a big hug and she whispers in my ear, coach, this is the best gift you could ever give me. She touched my heart so deeply, I cried harder. And then the game ends. Spencer Port, our opponent that night, I want to give kudos to their coach and players at Race Sports. They score with about 10 seconds to go. And our player that takes it out, he normally throws it to a point guard, but for whatever reason, he throws it right to Jason. And he's dribbling down the court, and the clock's ticking down. And all of a sudden, Jason pulls up like two feet behind the arc, almost an NBA three. I'm thinking, Jason, don't shoot for that. That's way too far. He launches a rainbow and swish. It goes in. And the place just erupts, and our students run on the floor, our players run on the floor, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm living the Moody Rudy. This is incredible. And the great little aftermath that made me so proud with all the, the strife we had that year is I had never asked the players to pass Jason the ball yet. In those last four minutes, he's the only one that shot because they kept passing the ball, which I thought was so cool. Although I do kid Jason because I still see him all the time. I'm still looking for your first assist because he never passed the ball once. (laughs) Yeah. But when the smoke had cleared, he had scored 20 points, including six three-pointers. They actually tied our school record for three-pointers in a game. And uh, and then ironically, three weeks later, with all the beat attention we received, we actually won our first sectional championship, um, which kind of opened the door for uh, some great success as we move forward. So, um, yeah, so that was certainly the most incredible night of my career. And, um, you know, I, I share that I do an inspirational talk. I also do a leadership talk. And, um, you know, I, I share that story hundreds of times and I still, it never gets old and it still always touches my heart and soul deeply. No. And I, I'll be honest with you, coach. Um, you know, my plan is, uh, I really want to check out your book. I really want to utilize this for my players this year. Um, you know, our key word this year is humility. Mm-hmm. That's our, that's our one word. Tell us about, it sounds like to me, that's what carried your team to the next level, right? Yep. Yeah, I think the uh, it's a great word, Kevin, because I you know I've done a lot of studying of leadership, and I, I think that's one of the essence of effective leaders is they are are humble, and uh, that's something that I really learned. You know, because after that year, we ended up winning a lot of championships, and uh, so I uh, but I, I realized that one of the reasons that people that are uh, are very effective leaders and stay at a high level is because they have humility. Because we often see how much, how many times in sports where a team has a great season, wins a championship, and then they're not heard of again, you know, the next year. So I think humility is very important because it's very easy when you you have success to let it go to your head. And if you do, uh, the uh, fall from the top of the mountain can be very quickly. So do you think that it was something that you instituted more or was it something that they just – it was just a spirit just from the moment that they realized, hey, as players, man, we got to look after each other. What do you think was the key to that? Well, you know, I, I think the real key was that Jason, um, he didn't completely understand all the strife. But the one thing I think the players really admired him, no matter how high or low the team is, he always would come in with a great attitude and he always had a great work ethic. And I, you know, I always, always used to tell our players, if we're going to be successful, we got to be outstanding and things we can control. And I used to give my team a quote every day. And one of my favorite attitude quotes is attitudes are contagious as yours worth catching. And I think because of Jason's great attitude day in and day out, I think it really rubbed off on the team. And they, you know, they realized that here's a young man that, you know, had a lot of difficulty in his life. He didn't speak, you know, until he was five years old. You know, he's on the spectrum. Uh, he got ridiculed a lot. Uh, you know, he's a, he, although he's grown, grown a lot physically, but, you know, he, in that game, he's like five, 920 pounds, really weak and not very quick, uh, but just had a heart of gold. And I think that our players just really rallied around that. And because of that, I think he was just a real catalyst for not only that game, but then, uh, then, you know, going on and winning our first sectional championship, I think it, the team really rallied around him, which was great to see. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I really want to get into kind of your leadership principles and everything. Um, 
But you, well, I tell you what, I, I got some key things from you. you really talk about persistence, right? And I mm-hmm. think that's so important because in life, man, bad things happen. You got to overcome it, right? Yeah, I think that is such a major key. Uh, you know, as I've studied leadership, uh, two of the qualities that I always see is the person, the, the leader that's persistent and the leader that's hum- humble. You know, so having those two qualities, I think, are essential to successful long-term leadership for, you know, any team or organization. So without a doubt, and, you know, Jason was obviously a great example of that, you know, the fact that, you know, he tried out for the team three consecutive years, didn't make it, but he stayed loyal to our team. And then to see how the loyalty came back as the players, you know, when he got a chance to play, you know, kept feeding the ball. So I I think um, that that uh, really built a great amount of trust amongst our team. Yeah, and I, I just think those intangibles, I mean, do we do enough as coaches? What advice can you give us coaches? I mean, because most coaches are X and O coaches, mm-hmm. and they should be they should be more intangible coaches, right? We should do we should really work more on that. I, I no question. I you know, one of the major keys that helped me immensely in the second half of my career. And the results on, on, you know, as far as our wins, losses, our championship was was uh, magnified was the fact that because I spent a lot more time building relationships and, and building leaders. And when I started to, to really build more, of, you know, people, because it's a people business. And you're absolutely right. Early in my career, I was all into the X's and O's, you know, what's the next great play? You know, how can we do this? And although I think that's certainly still part of coaching, I think the more that you know about the game, I think it's going to help you. But I think the most important thing that I learned is developing people. And when you do that, then it's going to reflect in how you do, you know, on the court. And, you know, we, we talked about, you know, having our team mission and our mission was to develop winners on and off the court. We would define that every day. Well, it is a winner on the court. You know, it's, it's winning the game is part of that. But it's also, are you a good teammate? Are you a good sport? Do you handle adversity correctly? You know, off the court, are you the best student you can be? Are you someone that gives back to the community? Are you a good citizen? You know, those are all the things we were trying to teach our players. And by doing that, in fact, I give you, uh, I was really proud last year of one of the best players I ever coached. He's actually going to be a senior at the University of Vermont. He was the MAC player of the year last year. And uh, we had lunch together with my former assistant that's now the head coach. He took over to me and he gave me one of the greatest compliments I I think I've ever received from a player because we were talking about building a program. He said, you know what? The thing I always admired about Coach Johnson is I knew he cared more about his people as as opposed to basketball players. And then I was really proud proud that he shared that with me. Yeah, I'm really going to – I really want you to kind of share – what you would do if you were building, if you were right now, with all the knowledge that you have, how would you build a program? Because the coaches that I have on here, man, they're trying to build a program, and I really want you to help them out. But I love one of your blog posts on would you take AB on your team? And you said it is a hard no. Yeah. Uh, and talk about that because sometimes talent is not as important as integrity, right, or, or as character. Absolutely. Well, you know, I've had a lot of discussions. I, I talked to a lot of teams. I talked to a lot of businesses. And, you know, I, obviously, I would never tell people that you don't need talent to win. You do. You know, it, you you got to have talent. But, it, you know, when I think of um, uh, let's give it an illustration like Tom Brady. Tom Brady is certainly a talented football player. No question about it. But is he the best athlete on the field? Not even close. Uh, yeah. So what, what, what I find is when you get someone like that has talent, I would rather have a nine out of 10 in talent, but with 10 with a work as an attitude, as opposed to an Antonio Brown, that talent wise is a 10, but his attitude is a two, you know, or a one. And when, when you get that, when you get, you know, cause we always used to talk about our philosophy was we over me. And when you get guys that are too much me instead of we, 
that really leads to, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we're in football season right now and I, I've been studying different teams and, you know, look at the Cleveland Browns. Everybody's all excited. You know, they, they brought in all these different guys and, uh, you know, Beckham and, and, but uh, the problem is, is they brought in some me guys and, um, you know, when things don't go well, me guys, unfortunately, uh, tend to uh, uh, destruct, destroy the team as opposed to, um, build the team and so i think that's really crucial in building a program certainly you got to make a commitment to help your players become better people and better basketball players you know, you're not going to win if your players are terrible even if they have great attitudes and work ethic but at the same time if you get a, a group of young men that are committed to each other that you know have some talent they don't have to be the most talented but they certainly got to have some basketball ability but if you put that with great integrity and, you know, people that care about each other, um, you know, you can really do something special. And, and that's what's really, really nice about that. Yeah, Jim, that's so true. And you see um, you see teams like Cleveland with Baker Mayfield, guys who have a lot of noise. Yes. But but. Why don't why don't we have more New England Patriots with that type of model? And their model is their I mean their slogan is just do your job. Right. And everybody has a role. Why don't why don't we see that more? I mean, I don't understand that. I and I know Belichick's one of a kind, but yeah. why don't we see that more? Uh, you know, I think it really goes into that uh unfortunately you know, at the highest level, the professional level, a lot of people get enamored by people that are really talented. And certainly, you know, as I said, I'm not going to say that you don't need talent. You do. Uh, but at the same time, I think the one thing that Belichick has been able to do better than anybody in football, uh, in you know, pr probably better than most people in almost any sport, is he recognizes the right fit for his organization and and that when people aren't the right fit they tend to uh disappear and he, he really tries to find the right fit for his organization i think that's something that the other teams certainly should be looking at but obviously haven't followed enough and because you're actually right i think with the more noise you hear at the professional level it usually leads to bad things uh and and i think the hardest thing you know at the highest level in the pros is getting a group of people to work together because they've been so talented and been you know people that uh, have always raved about them that they have big egos and, and it's okay to have a good ego as long as you still are making sure that you're, you know, you're putting all your time and effort to be the best you can be in helping the team be successful. But if you don't embrace that mindset, then uh, you end up being a distraction when things don't go well. And, uh, you know, you always hear that, you know, it's hard to win at any level, but certainly at the professional level is the hardest level. And if you don't have everybody on the same page, um, things can, can, the ship can sink really fast. So. Yeah, and of course, when the players are making more than the coach and so forth, I know that at the professional level it's tough, but at the high school level, that should be—I mean, that should be commonplace. But I still see it filtering down to the high school level. How can we, as high school coaches, develop that type of "we before me" system? Well, I think you know. And I you want me to share? I'll give you my leadership principles. Because yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. This helped me immensely. And it starts with, um, I'll start with principle one, that's clarifying your vision. And when I talk about that, the first thing that the first person you got to lead as the leader, of course, is you. And when I, I really sp spend a lot of time, I just was talking to a group of business leaders at a company last week. And it's amazing that when I ask this question, how many people have a personal mission statement written down? I get very few. That, that do that, you know, whether they're uh, coaches and, you know, of teams or they're business leaders or the CEO, I get very few. And, and that was a life changer for me. When I started to study leadership and I started to talk, you know, um, finding out, hey, I got to lead me and I, I should have, you know, a code of conduct. I call it the personal mission statement. And what I did is I started, uh, I teach people now that you should answer this question. Why were you put on this earth? Or in my case, where I'm a person of faith, why did God put you on this earth? And then from there, it's really, 
determining your values, you know, and I, uh, when I sat down and thought about what was most important to me, I wanted to think that I was a person of integrity. I wanted to be a great role model for the people I worked with and I wanted to help others. And so my mission statement is to be an outstanding role model that makes a positive difference in the world by helping others make their dreams come true. And when I got clarity about that, then as I was making different decisions, which as a leader you got to do all the time, I was always going back and it helped my decision making because I knew what I was all about and my players knew what I was all about. My coaching staff knew what it was all about. Then the second part of that is developing a team mission, which I talked about ours with winners on and off the court. And I certainly believe that businesses and schools, most of them have a mission statement. But I think there's something you always got to go back and look at. Are you actually living in it? Is everybody buying into it? If they're not, then that's something you got to look at. Second thing I talk about is uh, the essence of, of building a great team, and that's building trust. And in building trust, you know, I'll give you three ideas that we did. One is that we always were um, trying to be uh, honest with people. So we talked to, about telling the truth. Uh, we always talked about, you know, what you say and what you do have got to be together. Uh, you know, I'll give you an illustration. Like if we had six o'clock in the morning practice and I, uh, uh, you know, and if our players, some came in late at 6.05, I, I talked about trust is like a bank account, you know, and if you put deposits in, you're going to build the account. If you take withdrawals out, you're going to, uh, you know, d d diminish the account. So I think it's really important that you build that account and, you know, we talk to our players, how do we build the account, you know, by doing the right thing consistently. And then the other thing is, I think you got to change your mindset that you got to do a better job because as a, a leader, we often want to critique all the time. And although I think that's part of the leader's job, I think the most significant thing is to try to catch people doing the right thing and praise them in different ways. Uh, I think it's hugely important in building trust. Um, so that was the second key. The third one I call creating the edge. And I, I believe as a leader, you should always be trying to find ways, seek new ideas that you can create an edge. I'll give you two things that we talk about. Number one is that we want to use other voices. Um, so I, I always um, had, had my staff talk to the team. We hired a strength coach before it was in vogue. Now they're very big, but this was many years ago. Uh, I would bring people in from that were successful in our community to talk to our team. And then the second part is I think you have to teach our your team, how to be effective goal setters. And we would have a goal setting meeting where we would set team goals and individual goals. And I would meet with every player and we would talk about their individual goals and how they fit into the team with their role. I think that's significant as a leader that you have one-on-one -on -one meetings with your team members and get clarity about their role and their goals and how they fit in the team. The fourth key I talk about is effective communication. And I, I believe it's helpful if you can inspire your team with, you know, with little talks and that kind of thing. But I think the most important thing that I learned that I was not good at early in my career is to become a better listener. The old adage, you have two ears and only one mouth, so you should listen twice as much. When I became a better listener, we used to have captain's meetings every Monday of the week. And, you know, I, I would ask them questions like, well, how is our team chemistry? How can I best support you this week? You know, and I would really want to build the captains and our other players to be leaders. And I always would, you know, I always told our players, I'm not going to always agree with you, but I'm always willing to listen to you. And I, I think they respected that. The fifth key is a simple one, but not so simple for a lot of leaders. And that's to lead by example. We used to always tell our guys that you are always on stage and, you know, how you conduct yourself, especially in the toughest moments is so powerful in being able to build a championship culture. The sixth key I talk about is leaving a profit. And that's the one, the last two keys uh, that I'll share is what I tell leaders is, is I think are the two major keys in keeping a, a championship level. Because I, I think, uh, you know, you have to have a process in getting to a championship, but the teams that stay consistently good, like we, we made eight finals in my last 11 years and we won six. And what I used to talk to the players is, is we got to get better. 
every single day. And, it, and that starts with a leader. Uh, so I always talk to leaders about having their own personal growth plan, being intentional. You know, are you a reader every day? I believe leaders are readers. Are you, uh, you turn your, your automobile into a library on wheels? Are you constantly listening to, you know, information to help you improve as a person? You know, so I think, you know, do you have a mastermind group where you're talking to other people to learn more about, you know, the, whatever profession you're in? I think those are hugely important. And then the other part of Leave a Profit is having your own leadership philosophy. And what I talk to our leadership philosophy is everything we wanted to touch, we wanted to get better in that work. And I always give an illustration when we would go to a, another team school, we would always talk about leaving the locker room in better shape than when we got there. And if I walked in the locker room and I saw a piece of trash on the floor, I would pick it up. And I was trying to build that, the, you know, starts with small things, you know, that we're going to, everything we touch, we want to get better, not worse. And I think that's how we really developed that philosophy. Then the last key I talk about is servant leadership, which has gotten a lot of momentum. But really servant leadership is this. The leadership part is the leader is someone that has a vision and gives direction. And the servant piece is now flipping the old pyramid of leader where the leader was on top and the team members were below. And now you're actually serving your team and helping them become leaders. And I believe the best organization is where the CEO, the leadership team is teaching other leaders. So if that CEO leaves, the organization stays strong and even, even gets even better. You know, and I'm really proud that, you know, I left my program three years ago to retire to speak full time. And my assistant took over and he's uh, averaged 18 wins a year and they've made the finals three consecutive years. So I'm really proud that they, you know, he's been able to really keep the program. And I think he'll take it to another level. He's a great guy and, um, you know, he's a great leader. And, and, I, I, and that's what makes me proud that I felt like, I uh, left the program in good hands and, you know, I spent a lot of time with him mentoring, you know, he worked with me for 16 years and I still mentor him some today. So I think those are the, the seven keys I talk about, but I think the huge thing is there's no right or wrong, but you got to have clarity as a leader of what your principles are, you know, what you're going to share consistently with the team or organization you're leading. And, and when you develop that clarity, that's when you start to build that championship culture. Yeah. And, and it has to be, it can't be something you just pick up. It has to be something that's visible to the players, right. And on yeah. paper. So it has to be, it has to be very solidified in everybody's mind. This is the way we do it, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I, the one thing that I did change is, you know, like we would, like I, I give all these at the beginning of the year, the 10 commandments to be able to play, stay, and succeed in our program. But the only, one thing that I did do a much better job in my last probably 15 years is I, I, I got a lot of feedback from my players. And, you know, when we make adjustments during the season, we would make adjustments, you know, for the next season. So I, I was open to new ideas because I used to tell them, I don't have all the ideas. I got some ideas, uh, you know, as I gain more experience. But what I always told them was I wanted what's best for the team. Uh, you know, I was a team guy and my job was to do what was best for the team. And that's really what, why I, I wanted to do a good job of listening and getting input from my coaching staff and from my players. So, yeah. And I guess what you're saying, Jim, is you got to have a player led team. I think coaches sometimes need to back off. Right. And allow the players to give feedback and, and be leaders. Absolutely. You know, like a, you know, because early in my career, when I, you know, we'd have a timeout during a game, you know, I did all the talking. Then then things changed where, you know, when we had a timeout, if it was a full timeout, I would get uh, some feedback from my coaching staff. And then sometimes I'd go in the huddle and go, you know, I'd ask them a question like, you know, what are you guys seeing right now? Or, um, hey, right now, this doesn't appear to be working. Should we change defense? And, you know, sometimes, no, coach, we're, we're, we're better than this. So I know we, we should stay with this defense or whatever. You know, because they're on the floor. I, I kidded some people I talked to a college team the other day, and I said, you know what? I'm fortunate the fact that, you know, on my record it says that we won over 400 games. But you know what? I never scored a basket. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, you know, so I think it's really important you understand that, you know, the people that are playing for you, that, they're, that you can learn a lot 
from them. And when you develop them as leaders, then you get something special. Yeah. All the great coaches I talk to Jim, it's all about asking questions. I think sometimes coaches feel like we have to give the answers. I think the best way is to ask questions to give them the, give them to speak on behalf of the team. Right. Uh, I'm a hundred percent with you. I think that is so important, Kevin, that you are constantly asking questions uh, you know, of yourself, of your players, of your coaching staff, uh, you know, and as I mentioned, you know, when I did captain's meetings, I'd always ask them like, how is our team chemistry? Um, is there any way I can support you there? How about a uh, practice for this week? You got any thoughts on how we can get better this week? You know, so I wanted their feedback as I was planning, you know, each day and trying to get us, you know, to, you know, the end of the season where we were playing our best basketball. Yeah, it's funny you say that. And I learned this along. I don't know where I learned this from, but I, um, and I, I love what you're saying is I study the game and study leaders so much that I forget who I get everything from. But um, one thing he said was ask the players to run a practice or drink. Kevin, I lost you. Are you still there? Hey, Jim. Kevin, you cut out for about 10 seconds. Okay, can you hear me? I can. Okay, great. Yeah, not a problem. Let me just re-ask that question. Um, sometimes, like the other day, I we had workouts, and at my varsity girls, um, I want them to be kind of coaches on the floor, and they were helping out my middle school team. And I told them, hey, you know what? Go ahead and run some fundamental drills for them. I didn't tell them what to do. And they ran – the best practice of our own drill. I didn't tell them to run my drills. I just told them to run, just kind of get the kids better. And it was the best run practice you would ever see. So I guess what you're saying, our players know more than what we think. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, it's really neat that you did that, you know, and we started to do some of that, you know, where we give them feedback or input on, you know, practices. And, uh, you know, we, we actually, one time I, I, I tried it a couple of times. I didn't do it probably as much as I should have, but like, I'd, I'd say, you know, captains, you know, uh, next week, I want you to plan Monday's practice. And, uh, you know, I, I did that a couple of times, but I, I think that's a great idea. The more that you can give them leadership roles, I think it's hugely important in developing leaders. Yeah. And Jim, my last couple of questions is based on, I wonder want to talk some basketball here as well. Like uh, how would you, because I know you had a lot of success and I know you do a great job on intangibles and leadership. Um, but if you were coming into a program right now, what would be some of the key things you would do on court to build a program from all, all of what you learned from good and bad? What would you do? What would be like your first 30 days? Well, I'll give you some ideas. One would be is that, you know, anytime I took over a program, because I, I took over four different programs, my first one, I failed miserably. The other three, we did quite well, is that I would want to meet with as many players as I could. I would have, a, you know, a group meeting, but then I want to meet individually. And going back to what you said, I asked them a lot of questions. I want to get to know them as people, you know, what their ambitions are, you know, how much passion they have for the game of basketball. So I think that's where we start is I want to build relationships as quickly as possible. The second thing is, is, you know, when in taking job opportunities, I think it's hugely important because the game is now, whether you want to do it or not, is a 12 month a year job. And so that if you, um, uh, if you, uh, if you, um, What I always wanted is I wanted the opportunity to get into the gym year round so I could develop players in their game. So I think that's hugely important is that, you know, if you want to get your players better, you got to have opportunities to get in the gym in the off season and, you know, and, you know, do individual workouts, do small group workouts, you know, and then certainly get them into leagues and that type of thing. So you're building that. And then the third thing that I think is hugely important as a coach is that you have to develop 
um, your things like your style of play. And that's based on a couple things. You know, what are your strengths? Like I, we played a lot of man to man defense because I knew that better than zone. Like not to say that we never played zone and we certainly, uh, you know, play teams that played zone, but I, you know, man to man was my bread and butter on the defensive side. And I knew that better than I did teaching zone. Um, but then there were other things like some years we didn't play, played really fast. And there's other years, not as much because of the athletic talent we had. So I think that's important. And then I think it's hugely important. What I think was a real strength of mine was that I was very good at planning practice. And uh, we used to, if we, we had two hours, we would break our practice into eight 15 minute segments. And it was like clockwork. We used the clock and, and practice every day. And, uh, you know, we were, we really got through a lot in practice. And I, I think when you, and the players realize how organized you are and how essential it, it practices and getting ready for a game, I think that's hugely important. And, you know, and then I, I think it's really important too, as a communicator uh, is that, you know, you get uh, as many people on your side. I mean, uh, getting your players to buy in is number one. And then, you know, I, I know uh, it's harder and harder to get parents to buy in, but I think it's important that you, um, you know, you have a parents players meeting after you pick the teams and, you know, and you uh, get clarity on your expectations, how things are going to be run. Um, and, you know, I, I would get input from parents uh, mostly in the off season in the season, I really try to teach them that I wanted their, their sons to come to me and talk to me one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I was at, you know, I had an open door policy with that. So I, I, you know, in coming up with the nutshells, I think as a coach, you got to have a plan. You got to have the, the ability to organize uh, during the season. Practice planning is essential. I think you got to have a plan of how you're going to get your team better in the off season. And then you got to have an overall plan of how you're going to continue to build relationships in your program. And, and I'll say one other thing is I think it's really important that you hire a good staff. You know, that our staff was accountable to each other. We trusted each other. We cared about each other. And that's important as a leader. So I think those are the things that I really focused in when we would take over a program um, and try to build those things as quickly as we possibly can with the idea that things like building trust, as I told people, uh, trust takes time. And, and But the thing you got to be really important as a leader is, you know, you can destroy stuff uh, trust with uh, really one bad choice. I always give the illustration, like for my last 20 something years in coaching, because I wanted to be a great role model, I told my players and parents that I would not drink alcohol during the season. Now, if I said that, and then two weeks later, I got pulled over for DWI, what do you think that would have done to the trust? Right. Um, you know, so th those are things that you got to be really, uh, you know, cognizant of what you share. You better be living that consistently, because if not, you know, as I always told people, as an example, you're always on stage. And if you're not doing the right things consistently, that's going to come back to haunt you. Yeah. Head coaches, you're watched all the time. Um and, uh, I mean, coaches absolutely have to know that. You're always on stage. You're exactly right. Hey, um, uh, each one of those segments, we can run a different podcast for Jim Johnson to tell us about that, but I know you don't have time for that. But talk to me about practice planning. If that's one of your strengths. Give us, give us some of your keys on how you break down a practice. Okay, so – as I mentioned, we usually did eight 15-minute segments. We would uh, have a clock out, and we would break them down usually into three, three pieces of each segment. So we would do usually an individual, a small group, and then a team. So and I'll give you some of the ideas for segments. So we would uh, go over uh, one segment would be always our man defense. One segment would be our pressure. And so that pressure segment would be a full court pressing defense and, you know, how to attack full court pressure. So we put those two together. We always did a skill segment where we would spend time on skills and, and different things. We always did a shooting segment. Um, and, and that was because uh, shooting to me was so important because if you don't put the ball in the basket, it's hard to win games. Uh, we always had a transition segment where we would work on, you know, a uh, fast break and then also 
on how to uh, recover, you know, and getting back on defense. We always did what we call the special situations where we go over things such, such as out-of-bounds plays, end-of-the-game situations, you know, and those types of things. We always did a zone segment, even though we didn't play a lot of zone, we certainly played against zone. So th that would be something that we would always spend some time on. So those were, you know, some of the things, I'm not sure if I hit eight on that, but uh, those are the things that we would try to consistently do. And then when we cut practice back down to like 90 minutes towards the end of the season, then we would still use the keep the eight segment and just make them shorter. Uh, and to give you an example, like, let's say the band defensive segment. So we would often do a one-on-one -on -one drill, you know, where we're containing the dribble or uh, how to close out on somebody. Then we would do a, a, a usually a two-on-two -two or three-on-three -three breakdown on, you know, how we were going to defend ball screen or how we can defend, you know, other screens or how we can defend cutters. And then we would go to five-on-five -five and, you know, where we would do, you know, different drills with that. Um, and, you know, and I, I think you should have a good nucleus of drills so that the, the players don't get bored. Um, but the other thing, we always try to make practices competitive because the game is competitive. So, you know, uh, we, we would try to make the practices competitive as, as possible. Yeah, that, that's that's great advice. And, uh, and Jim, let me ask you this. This is what I see. Um, and this is what I've changed over the years. Um you would do a, let's say you do a one-on-one -on -one drill or a two-on-two, three-on-three, a breakdown drill, and then you go five-on-five five and you have a lot of slippage. You don't see the things you've been working on. I see that a lot. With that. Mm -hmm. So um, I actually do, I go backwards. I go five-on-five -five team, then I go back to skill, then I go back to five-on-five. -five. I find that it helps. That's just a personal thing that I do. It helps mm -hmm. the players see what they're working on. And so we can go fix things. Um, right. Uh, I like that idea a lot. I, I did that once in a while, but I, I like the concept a lot because you're right. You know, in fact, I'll, I'll mention this. As I grew as a coach, we did more five on five. We always did some breakdowns and we would do shooting drills and all that type of thing. Um, but as I, we try to do, do as much. I usually tell our players that we try to simulate a game as best as possible in practice. And so that's why we did a lot of five on five. Even when we were doing like five on five half court, you know, we would always uh, make where the defense, you know, got the rebound. We'd make, you know, one transition just so we were teaching them that, you know, the play's not over, you know, that type of thing. So, so we, we, the more that I got into coaching, the more I realized the best way to coach your team is to try to simulate the game and practice to your best of your ability. Yeah, I really believe that over there. But, you know, you, you learn that everybody has their own way of doing things. I don't think there's any right or wrong, right, Jim? No, I, I definitely – I think the huge thing is, is, is getting your players on board of, you know, what your philosophy, what your style play is going to be, and that you're consistent. Like, you know, it blows my mind sometimes if I go to a practice – and this team was a fast break team, but in practice, all they do is work on half court offense. I'm like, well, you know what? You're not going to get that in a game because, it, 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 and the same thing, you know, if you were a, uh, you know, half court team and you spent your whole practice running fast break, then, you know, it's a mixed message. You, you're not going to get. So I think it's very important that there's no wrong or right style. There's, you know, like Virginia won the national championship last year and they played slow down. You know, you can talk other years where teams have been really fast and won national. So there's no right or wrong. What I will tell and advice to coaches is you've got to be efficient and effective in what you believe and what you can teach. So if you uh, want to play up-tempo, you better learn a lot about um, the ins and out of playing up tempo. If you want to be a slow down half court team, you really got to know the ins and out. If you're going to be a man to man defensive team, you better know how to teach man to man, you know, and all the different factors you're going to go through. You want to be a zone team, there's nothing wrong with that, but you better be uh, learn, you know, the ins and out and how to teach a zone. So I think it's really important that whatever style, uh, how you want to play, as a coach, you got to be as good an expert as you possibly can. Yeah, I love that because um, I, I know we're um, we're a really a pressure team, coach. We're we're trying to get ninety shots a game, and half mm -hmm. half of them 
from behind the arc. I, a matter of fact, I can use Jason on my team. <laughs> um, but I mean, and we practice like that, but we only, we practice in short one, the two minute scrimmages going as hard as we can. And we, we play like, you know, 12 players and so forth in the game, but we have to practice, we have to practice like that. Right. That's our system. Absolutely. You know, and uh, as I said, I, I think that's so important that like I always used to tell young coaches, you know, within 30 minutes of your practice, I should really know, um, you know, your beliefs and your style of play. And if I don't, then it's, your players probably don't know. And, and that's, that's going to lead to confusion. And it's the last thing you want as a coach is confuse players during a game. Yeah, that's a great point. Hey, Jim, my last question is this. This, this is really going to help me out. Hopefully it will help some other coaches out. Um, we have a program right now that we built up over the years, adding wins. Just like, just like what you've done, we are now on the, um, on the edge of winning the championship. Tell us, help us out. I want to keep communicating with you over, uh, over this time period during the season on what can we do to get to that next level of winning the championship. We're right there, close. Well, you know, the, the one thing that I will say that I think was hugely important that our players uh, bought into and not so much early in my career, but really much is we used to do a lot of work with the mental part. You know, we did mental imagery sessions with our players. And, you know, I talked about one of my keys was creating an edge. And that was one of the things that we, you know, we got our guys to buy in and how important mental preparation as well as physical preparation was. So I certainly, uh, you know, my website is coachjimjohnson.com. And, uh, you know, Kevin, obviously you got my email. Um, uh, I do a blog every week. I, we do a monthly newsletter that, you know, people can sign up for free. Um, I do uh, also some video work, you know, with some of the blogs I do. Uh, but certainly I, I want to stay in touch and, and continue to, you know, help you and help other coaches. Uh, you know, I, I love the game of basketball and I love coaching. So if I can help you and other coaches, I certainly love to do that. You know, and I do a lot of leadership talks for, for teams and, you know, and that type of thing to, to help them. So, yeah. And that's great. And what, what's one final word of advice that you can give to us coaches that you learn from J-Mac and all that experience there and, and over the years, what's one final piece of advice you want to leave like a young coach coming into the game now, just trying to, just trying to learn how to, how to coach. Well, I'm going to double, I'm going to give you two. Okay. I think the first thing is, is, you know, I've said this, but I'm going to reemphasize it is that I, I really strongly believe that you got to know who you are as a person. So I think it, it's, I'm going to highly re, uh, recommend that, people develop their own personal mission statement and that's something that they strive to live, uh, you know, on a daily basis. Because I think when you have clarity about who you are, I think you can be much more effective in leading people. And then the second point I want to share that certainly is, is Jason's one of the greatest examples that I've been around is the essence of, of perseverance, the ability that, that, that never give up mindset, that you are going to find a way. And, and I want to share with any coach, but uh, you know what? It's hard to, to win. I don't care if you're a, a fourth grade coach or a varsity coach or a college coach or an MBA coach, it's hard to win. So it, it's a process. It takes time. But I think if you've got an overarching uh, mission, like I talked about, where we develop uh, winners on and off the court. Like there were some years that, you know, we didn't win a championship or we, you know, uh, and maybe we just had an okay record. But there were some of those teams I was just as proud, if not more proud, because they, uh, their relationships with each other was outstanding. You know, and we, we lost that last game, whenever that was you could tell how much they cared about each other and the fact that they, you know, when players would say the worst part about it is we're not going to see each other tomorrow at practice. And that's when you knew you, you knew you did something really special with that group of young men. Yeah, that's great advice, Coach. And, of course, probably the best advice you're saying is don't focus on the result. Don't focus on winning. You don't focus on winning at all. Just focus on doing those little things, right? Absolutely. You know, I mean, that was one thing. It was curious because when I started to read about all the great coaches and John Wood was one of the, you know, when I was growing up, um, 
you know, the crazy thing that he never talked about winning with his team. And then obviously he, he won a lot. So, uh, but you know, when you teach the other things and you do things the right way and you, because what that ends up doing is you're going to attract the right people in your program and then good things are going to happen. Yeah, I love that coach. How can the listeners get a hold of it? I know you're going to have a lot of people calling you. What's the best way? I think you mentioned it before, but kind of, um, kind of mention it again on what's the best way to get a hold of coach Jim Johnson. Yeah, sure. So I, I'd be glad. To, I always like to help people. So uh, on our website uh, is coachjimjohnson.com. There, you know, and all the information to contact me is on that. Uh, you know, we have a, a, a number on there. We also have an email and uh, definitely either myself or someone on my staff will get back to you as soon as possible. And, and, you know, we could set up a time if anybody wants to talk to me personally, I'd be glad to do that as well. Yeah, coaches, it's, it's a great website. I spent a lot of time on it. And I appreciate you you're taking the time out and sharing with me, Coach. And uh, let's keep in touch because I really want you to help out the Lady Titans this year. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, yeah, keep me posted on how you're doing. And, uh, you know, send me any questions or anything you got. And, uh, and also you said you're going to send me a um, – uh, your information and I'll, I'll send you. Absolutely. Out. That'd be great. Jim, thank you so much. Wish you the best. Continue the great work. Thanks, Kevin. I hope we meet someday and uh, best of luck this season. I look forward to staying. Right. Thanks coach. Take care now. My pleasure. You too. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, this is Sean Glaze of Great Results Team Building, and you're improving your team culture by listening to Coach Kevin Furtado and the Championship Vision Podcast.